the first woman in New York City Ballet's history to hold a permanent leadership role. Associate Artistic Director Wendy Whalen also performed with the company as a principal dancer for three decades. One of the most acclaimed dancers of our time, Wendy has transformed the landscape of the dance world with her unwavering spirit and enduring presence, paving the way for young dancers to thrive. The scarier it got and the more dramatic it felt emotionally, the more I was willing to go out on the limb. I didn't ever see anybody go through this because everybody hit it because it's so freaking scary. So I thought that I would do it not only for myself to give myself the courage, I'm going to also have a time capsule of this moment that other dancers can learn from. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. I remember the first time that I really met you. Of course, I knew who you were. I had seen you perform, but I went to take a class with Willie Berman and I found myself trying to stand closer and closer to you (laughs) as we took the class at the bar so I could kind of feed off of your energy and learn from you. So I'm deeply grateful for your presence. When you think back on those classes and think about Willie, how does it make you feel all of those years and days standing at the bar and working with him? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I want to ask, how old were you? Because you were a baby, baby, baby. And I remember the first time I saw you in class. It was really like, who is this girl? And I think I'd seen photos of you, and I was like, there she is. (laughs) And I was just overwhelmed with your your gift. But that said, those were the people that Willie drew in somehow. He drew in curious, confident, daring artists, you know, people that wanted to grow. And it was also a ground that felt very balanced and democratic. He was correcting older non-dancers that had never been a professional or had only studied a little bit as much as he was, you know, correcting us. It was a conversation and it was continually motivating. I look back on those days as the greatest time of my dancing life mm. as, a, as a dancer, feeling every day growth, feeling every day just crackling with where are we going to get to next? When I think of you, I think of someone who is so dedicated to the craft because I mm. saw you in class every day. Mm-hmm. I knew how your day started. And I just could only imagine how many more hours you had mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. So my question is... What was the driving force behind that work ethic? Physical curiosity. And I think as a young dancer, I struggled keeping up. I felt in my early days of like being nine, eight, nine, ten, and 11 years old, I had started going to a school where I was a little bit behind the other dancers. And they were a little older than me. So 
but just I was grasping to catch up with them and their the way they put steps together. I was slow to put steps together. Therefore, I was slow to find my body, I think, because I was struggling with the, the mind and the body. I couldn't put them together. Mm-hmm. And then once I, that cl- started clicking in around 12, 13, I couldn't get enough. And I was just like looking for information, for tools. I loved the way it felt to think about a new idea deep inside and feel a bone shift and feel a muscle shift and relax. I loved, loved, loved searching for the intellect of my physicality Mm. and, and feeling it grow and then feeling that play out in a rehearsal and then on stage. And, and over time I was, like I said, I was a slow start person. So I was the tortoise that was like, I'm going to knock him up. And I, I was not the first to do this or the, or the quickest to become a principal. But I was like, I'm going to sustain for a long time. And I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did do that. So I was that the tortoise of that story. Right. Yeah. And I just kept going and going and going. And that was, I just knew that was my trajectory. Hmm. Can you recall any teachers when you were training either at home in Kentucky or you know, through School of American Ballet, who really helped you to hone that idea of this physical, intellectual creature? So we studied with this woman, Cecile Heller Gibson, now her last name. And she brought in a former student of hers who had come to New York and danced uh, in Le Grand Ballet Canadien. Um, And he had studied at Harkness with David Howard, and he had studied with Maggie Black. And he brought the idea of balancing into my ballet studio for the first time ever. I was trained in a, a very British training program. So balancing was not a word that ever came up. <laughs> yeah. But this teacher, whose name was Robbie Ticello, and he brought Maggie Black and balancing into my studio imagination. And between the two of those ideas and his ability to teach those ideas to us and his passion. He wanted purity and he wanted, he wanted us to be healthy. And, um, that shifted everything for me because he started to talk about bones and joints and how they work and how this hip joint rolls into this socket and how you can open it up from working from underneath and how you need to stretch beyond your toes and how you need to find the floor and, and calm on top and line that up and slow down and stay, <laughs> stay, feel that line, feel that line. Good. You know, sort of memorizing yeah. those moments. And it started to work. I auditioned for School of American Ballet at his and Cecile's behest. And I got in and I and I had gone into that audition. It was for Suzanne Farrell in Cincinnati. Aww. And I felt like I could do anything because they had set me up. And uh, that was it. Isn't it amazing how you can still hear your teacher's voices in your head? Right here, like a little bird. I have like a branch where they all sit, all of them. Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. In an interview, Mm -hmm. Philip Neal, a former colleague of yours from City Ballet and also someone who I remember in Willie's Mm -hmm. class, stated, Wendy is the most modest dancer who ever lived. We have to brag about her because she'll never brag about herself. Rather than brag about yourself, I wonder if you can share what things you are most proud of 
so funny because I was just, we were giving evaluations to dancers in the company at New York City Ballet, and a, a very incredible soloist had come in and we were speaking with him. And I was telling him, you know, part of the reason he's such a great dancer is because he's a kind person and everybody loves him and he's a role model and they look up to him. So beyond just his talent, he inspires this spirit of other people. Mm -hmm. And I said, 30 years down the line, people are going to come back and going to pay you back with that quality that you're giving out to them now. I'm finding that I keep getting people coming back to me saying, oh, you were the first person to speak to me when I joined the company. And I was like, are you kidding me? Nope. And I remember it. So these little moments are coming back and I, I don't remember them at all. But I feel like I feel like I just cashed a beautiful paycheck. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I have all these friends all over the world that remember something that I said rather than like a step I gave or did. You know, it's not ever really been about my perfect ability to dance or my greatness on stage, but it was the com combining of the two that I tried mm. to do. And I feel like I succeeded at, at the um, personal aspect of it way more than I ever imagined. And it was a greater gift than I ever imagined mm -hmm. to, to have been able to hone that part of the art because it is a part of the art that I think certain artists overlook. And I, I'm trying to instill that and let the dancers at New York City Ballet know that that, that, is, that adds to what we see on stage. Mm -hmm. Because when we watch a dancer, it, it's like an x-ray. <laughs> yes. You know, and the more I watch, the more I feel that it's mm -hmm. true. Is And I remember those dancers that I was dancing with that I would get that feeling from. And I'm like, Jennifer Ringer. It's like mm -hmm. her persona came out and her dancing. And it was beyond technique. And it, it, was, a, it was the art mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, I love how you said it's like an x-ray because being on stage feels very naked mm -hmm. and it will reveal mm -hmm. your most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And when the person is kind or generous or they have a beautiful spirit or emanates joy, that comes out in their work and in their dancing. And you're right, then it emanates so beautifully that others catch the wind, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. others are empowered by mm -hmm. that feeling mm -hmm. so and you feel it when it's authentic and when it's not agreed mm -hmm. well this leads right into my question you have always been so down to earth <laughs> and accessible and I think that is one of the elements that makes your dancing so impactful so oh amazing that you identified that as one of your uh, most precious accomplishments mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know your life must move at a thousand miles per minute. Even today, you all are, are in season and performing, and yet you have time to be here mm -hmm. with me. And you seem to have time to support so many, including artists outside of New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. Case in point, mm -hmm. you are a regular audience member at Juilliard Dance's performances. I was just starstruck to see you sitting in the audience when, when the students are performing. Mm -hmm. They are as well. Mm -hmm. And your presence on social media, on Instagram, you're always like liking the posts that I make of my crazy kids and having the cutest emojis. And I just wonder, how do you have time and capacity to make me and everyone else feel so seen? Huh. Well, 
I think it's really important to have a presence beyond New York City Ballet. I mean, I want to open the doors and the windows of mm. the theater and our institution so that we can breathe in new energy and we can exert our beautiful energy that we have going on there. So I want to try to help open that up. That's always been my way is to be open. I was always, like you said, at Willie's class, I was not in the studio, in the studio at New York City Ballet most mornings because it was so, so many people from New York City Ballet, a hundred dancers in the room. Mm -hmm. And at Willie's, it was like maybe 30 and it was smaller groups and, and a more unique, diverse group of New York City artists mm -hmm. that were there. And I felt inspired by that. So that I get inspired by, by that and I, it's fuel. So I think being naturally drawn to that sort of energy is part of my job, I think. And I believe that. So, And because it's yeah. so natural to you, yeah. hopefully it doesn't feel like a task. No. You know, it feels like this is what I do and I happen to also be the associate director. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a muscle in a way of keeping collaborative spirit alive whether that be just through messaging or, I mean, it's all messaging, mm -hmm. whether you're on stage or on social media or, <laughs> you know, writing an email. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're constantly, you know, connecting. I wonder, as a performer, once you were hired to dance with New York City Ballet, what was the moment where you found the magic or that mm. it clicked or that you felt, oh my gosh, mm. I've arrived? Ooh, I don't know if I ever felt that part. <laughs> I felt when I was joining the company, I I, re I very much struggled through my 20s there as a person. I kept working as a dancer. I, I, and there were times when I felt like I was struggling to be noticed early on. And I, I started to fit into roles that I felt very comfortable in, but they were like the tomboy roles. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm more than that. And I know I am. So I was really struggling to get past that strong girl, um, tomboy, jumper quality. And I know as dancers, we always get sort of typecast into a certain thing and we're trying to get out of those molds that mm -hmm. we feel locked into. And we, we have to do that, a lot of that ourselves and to know how to push beyond our limit. There wasn't an exact moment, but there were certain ballets. It's always weird for me to say this, but the cage. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a serious yeah, ballet. Yeah, that's a serious ballet. But it was something that I worked with Jerome Robbins on as a soloist. And I started to feel like, okay, I can be, there's a part of me that really lives here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I always enjoyed not being a person. I loved being a creature or an energy. I liked abstract ballets. I could bring my uniqueness to the part. And people were like, you're really good in that. And I was like, oh, I felt really good in it too. <laughs> you know, so this started to click. And then, I mean, even Ulysses Dove came a few years later and he chose me for his Ballet Red Angels because he saw me in the cage and different things like that. So I, I one of the moments was that moment because it did open a lot of outside viewers' eyes up to me. Yeah. And even choreographers, Christopher Wielden, he knew me from those kind of ballets and um, Jerry put me in more and more things. And I think that was the key, kind of weirdly, <laughs> with my claws and everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, it allows yeah. you to, to kind of be outside of yourself and uh, tap into your imagination. And it sounds like that was something, that's something that really fueled you. Yeah. And people saw that I was open and daring. And I think that inspired other people's thoughts about working with me. 
There's one moment that you're making me remember when I was working with Forsyth on Hermit Schmermin, the Potida, and it was in 1993, and it was in the winter, and I remember him showing me a step, and it felt very foreign to me, and it was very challenging to learn his vocabulary. And he said, listen, I know you're working on Swan Lake right now. I was just getting ready to debut in, in a white swan, mm. Odette. Oh, my goodness. And he said, it's just like Odette. This movement, this arm is just mm -hmm. like Odette. It's just pulled out, extended, and it's, and it's rounded. And so for him to put the qualities of that most traditional classical ballet into this very futuristic, um, foreign, uh, it, it clicked. And I was like, oh, my God. He's right. It makes sense. It all comes from the same place. Yes. And it's just, you know, pulling that open. So I just, I loved when he just opened that my imagination to that idea at that time in my life. And to remind you that you already have the tools. Yeah. Exactly. That you just maybe had to have someone teach you how to use them. Yeah. Open yeah. that little bit more of that window up mm -hmm. and go, ooh, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. What were some of your favorite ballets to perform? Are there others besides the ones that you've mentioned? Yeah, I I always break this down into like three sections okay. because I, my career lasted three decades. So there was a first section of my career that I was drawn only, not only, but really strongly to Stravinsky. It was mm -hmm. like Agon, Stravinsky Violin Concerto, oh. The Cage, Symphony in Three Movements. It was all these ballets. And I was at home in those ballets. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it was because it has such percussion yes. like, and punctuation mm -hmm. in the music. And I felt like that was me. Like I am a percussive, punctuated dancer. Mm -hmm. I have these points, these exclamation points yes. and these, these like, mm. you know, I, I felt like, and this spine that was like a question mark. I was like, <laughs> I, I am a human punctuation mark. Yes. And so I was like, that's, this music is that. And I was really working towards it because I knew I was like, if I don't get there by my 30s, I'm going to be lost. I've got to get into the Tchaikovsky stuff. I worked my way into the more classical things like Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number no. 2. Mm -hmm. I did Tchaikovsky Potida a little bit. I did, um, I did some Swan Lake. I did Sleeping Beauty. So the Tchaikovsky works and the very technical classical works, mm -hmm. I really try to get the, get those in and within my career because I knew the time was limited mm -hmm. to really dive in and, and be able to try to own those. Then at the end, and I, after I started working with Christopher Wielden a bit, and I started to get my own personality and I, my body softened and my energy quieted a bit, my, my punctuation mark <laughs> moved down to like a comma. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the exclamation points weren't there so much. They were like dot, 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 <laughs> you know, um, that was kind of part of. My, my body at that point and the romantic ballets came mm -hmm. in to play like Beautiful. like um, Sonambula and Liebeschlieder Walzer mm -hmm. and different things like that with more swoosh and whoosh and kind of liquidy classical ballet mm -hmm. and romance and poetry oh. and softening and relaxing in my partner's arms because I had learned how to be partner finally and I could really like own that. So it was like the the neoclassical into the traditional technical classical balancing into the more romantic poetic side. Mm -hmm. I felt like that was my arc and my spectrum. And um, yeah, I, I loved following that, taking that journey. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I think 
you know, I've had so many periods of my career where I thought I was retiring <laughs> and then I gained some other life experiences and brought it back and then brought it back again. Yeah. And I realized that my own personal maturing strengthened my dancing mm -hmm. so much. <laughs> and it was such a gift to have had life experiences to bring to the stage because the the romance and the swoon and the swoosh you need a what? different type of strength and a different type of confidence yeah. to allow someone else to take your body as a partner to support your mm -hmm. work and you can actually give yourself to the work yeah and you have to collage your imagination with life experience mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so restless creature mm -hmm. It was a remarkable documentary. Mm -hmm. It captured your day-to-day -day life in your final year as a principal with City Ballet. Where did you find the sense of bravery to open yourself to a camera? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what kind of guts did it take to allow yourself to be okay with the unknown of what was going to happen with your life next? <laughs> I didn't have choice. No, I did. I had a, I had a choice. I... I had had this, you know, sort of shift in my body happen and all this unknown was beginning. And with that, I had started my project, Restless Creature, to sort of get myself. I, I, I wasn't ready to finish dancing, but I didn't know how much longer I had in a ballet career. So I wanted to sort of line up myself for potentially dancing beyond ballet. And so I had been really inspired by Kyle Abraham, and Bryant Brooks, and a number of other artists, and I thought to make this project. I had met some people that wanted to support my Restless Creature project, and this donor said, I know a filmmaker, and I think this would be a great documentary to make, to document the making of this project. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm at, I might have to have surgery. I don't know how long, long my dancing career. I'm not feeling great right now. And she's like, that's the perfect documentary. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but you don't understand. So we tried it and the filmmaker, Adam Schlesinger, and his um, cinematographer, Don Lenzer, who had done a lot of dance films, came and sh shot a rehearsal and then a little interview for like four hours. And he made a little tiny reel from that. And it was beautiful. And my husband, who is an artist, and he does some work with film, he said, you know, if you're going to do this, this is the way you should do it. And the scarier it got and the more dramatic it felt emotionally, the more I was willing to go out on the limb. And the more I realized I didn't have any of these answers, I didn't ever see anybody go through this because everybody hit it because it's so freaking scary. So no one ever put it out there. So I thought that I would do it not only for myself to give myself the courage because I thought I'm, I'm doing this so I'm going to do my best to survive this and I'm going to also have a capsule a time capsule of this moment that other dancers can learn from and I that was how I looked at it because mm -hmm. I wanted to be the one to tell the story because I had never heard the story of how mm -hmm. a career ends this was an ear you know I mean mm -hmm. that microphone was an ear for me whether it was good or bad I I needed to get it. I needed to vent my, my, my situation. Yeah. Dancers, so much of our identity is wrapped up in the work. Mm -hmm. And when the work is no longer there, it's like, who am I? I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we had the privilege of seeing you grapple with this idea of identity. 
Yeah. And if, you know, you feel your only value is your body, it's not a great feeling. No. I just got the chills. Yeah. Because it's, it's been something in, within our career for not decades, generations mm-hmm. and centuries yes. now. But the gift, like we spoke of earlier, is our life and our life experience and our humanity. Mm-hmm. And so we need to bring those together and not separate them. Shifting to your role as associate artistic director, mm-hmm. you're the first woman at New York City Ballet in New York City Ballet history to hold a permanent leadership role. What is it like mm-hmm. for you to step into this position? <laughs> well, there wasn't this job description before. There wasn't an associate artistic director. And I do feel the company energy shift. And we're, we're trying to make opportunity to, to listen and take time and not quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's slower than expected, but I think it's smarter. How do you think this generation of dancers have changed? Mm. Well, tremendously. Mm. I mean, social media is just a huge part of that. Giving everyone a voice, giving everyone a platform to self-identify or project what they want to project of themselves, how they want to be seen. We do evaluations every year with each dancer, which never happened Mm. when I was a dancer. It's so important. And that helps us hear them Mm -hmm. and them to hear us. And we get a a nice understanding of alignment Mm -hmm. and or not aligned, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. and how do we get towards that alignment? But we try to reinforce the fact that we care about their best interests Mm -hmm. and that we want to give them an opportunity to be their best artist. When you think about your life in total, your your life as a dancer, as a performer, as a leader, as a wife, mm-hmm. what would you like your legacy to be? That's a big question. It's a really big question. It's the last it's one. So, it's, um, there's so many parts, but I've always felt like a bridge. I joined New York City Ballet. My first ballet steps in a Balanchine Ballet were hours after he died. My beginning was his end. So I just feel like I'm continuing to build that bridge to the next place. I want my legacy to be that long, lengthy bridge taking the art form forward. So I think that that's where I fit in the field coming into this leadership role. There wasn't one before me that did this position Mm -hmm. as a female and I'm Mm -hmm. trying to kind of break into that new thing and, and then just keeping continuing to build forward. Oftentimes we try to categorize different leaders and I think mm-hmm. that you lead by action with service. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you do that intentionally. Mm-hmm. It seems like so much a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. I think you are achieving those legacy goals that you have set forth mm-hmm. for yourself. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for sitting with me today and sharing your moving moments with me. It's so special to have you included in this conversation. Thank you for having me. And it's such an honor to sit with you. And I hope we do more of this. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast 
and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.